0: What's up, everyone? Tara Roberts here, and welcome to the Dear Miss Fantasy show for week two. This week was absolutely out of control. I hope your fantasy teams thrived and you weren't victim to the Dallas Cowboys defense. Side note, I did not play the Dallas Cowboys defense in redraft. I do not have the Dallas Cowboys defense in redraft, but... I do play in a dynasty league organized by Justin Boone from The Score and it is ridiculously deep lineup that includes defense. Yes, a dynasty league with defense and guess who has the Cowboys defense. That's right. Me. It has been carrying my dynasty team for literally years now <laughs> since 2019. It has been fantastic. Um, so thank you, Cowboys defense. Uh, you will have to claw the Cowboys defense in that dynasty league from my cold dead hands. It is literally worth three firsts. It is my most valuable player. It's not even close. Um, so yeah, but I hope you didn't have to face the Cowboys defense this week. Now, before we dive into the mailbag questions, because we are the mailbag show for Player Profiler, and the mailbag questions are, they're super insightful this week, and they're very comical this week, so you don't want to miss out on them, so stay tuned. We're going to talk about some of the hot topics that are going on from week one, and the big thing that I want to talk about is rookies, rookies, and rookies, because oh my God, were they not fantastic this week? I mean, across the board. Now, we had some that were disappointing, but I mean, overall, some of them just really came in and made their mark in the NFL right off the bat. So Bijan Robinson, obviously the first one that we want to talk about, 10 carries, 56 yards, six receptions on six targets, 27 yards, receiving touchdown. I mean, you couldn't ask for a better first entry into the NFL out of a guy that we were drafting as a top five running back. Right. So this was a fantastic start. Now, granted, I know some people were a little bit disappointed, maybe in the amount of usage from Tyler Algier. 15 carries, 75 yards, two touchdowns. Yeah, he got the two touchdowns on the ground. And he also got three receptions. Kind of crazy. 19 yards. Although some of that, keep in mind, some of that might have had something to do with the Cordero Patterson injury. Um, again, that's you know, pa- Patterson is the third stream back in theory, but they do want to run a committee. He would have been a part of the game plan, especially from a receptions um, perspective. So that's probably why we saw some of that tilt towards Tyler Algier. Um, but again, you know, that's a nice, this was a nice easing in for Bijan. This is the ease-in, right? This is not the standard of what we're going to see. And it wasn't bad to see the level of volume that this team is going to push through the air. And kind of, or through the ground and just kind of feeling out what this balance could look like. And we'll talk about the lack of volume through the air in a little bit when we get to our mailbag portion of the show. But again, you know, we're talking about Bijan. He had the higher snap count compared to Algiers, 63%, to Tyler Algiers, 56%. This was a great sign right off the bat when you contrast it from what we saw from Gibbs, right? He was a little bit limited. They eased him in. If this is the ease in workload for Bijan, I mean, we're talking potential overall RB1 once they gear him up to really be the dominating force on the ground in this offense. So Fantastic outing. The reality here is that Tyler Algier was always going to have workload. Remember, Atlanta had 559 rushing yards last year or rushing attempts last year, the most in the NFL. Even Bijan, nobody, absolutely nobody can handle that level of workload. So there was always going to be involvement from Tyler Algier. This was not a bad thing. This was a fantastic sign. Uh, someone who was a little bit um, not as expected. We expected Bijan to come in and be Bijan, but I don't think we were expecting Puka Nakua to do all of this. Okay, so let's just do an early mailbag question because it's relevant. From the FF Chef commented, I spent 21 of my 200 fab for Puka Nakua, and this will air after his fab goes through, so don't worry. Don't worry. We're not ratting him out here. Um, but 21 of 200 fab for Pukunakua. Is he the real deal? Yeah. I might have even spent a little bit more. I could spend 21 out of, um, out of 100. Pukunokua is absolutely the real deal here. I am wildly encouraged and impressed by what I saw in week one. When we see a rookie wide receiver, you know, it's, it's, I don't want to say it's easier for rookie running, running backs to come in and make an impact because, again, it depends on how much workload they're given, but it's easier for them to step in because they step in to do exactly what they've been doing, right? The wide receivers have to have the combination of, you know, dealing with a lot of different, possibly some increased route trees in the NFL, new system, you know, new rapport with the quarterback. So there's a lot to kind of factor in for wide receivers and why you often see them taking the, you know, the Amandra St. Brown route of getting used to the NFL and then really popping off as the season goes on. But Puka Nakua coming out right off the bat and doing this, you have to pay attention. This The fab that the real FF chef spent on Puka Nakua is well warranted. Um, he is absolutely my top waiver wire ad of the week. By the way, you can head over to my Twitter. It's Tara Time, I-T-S-T-E-R-A. I do a waiver wire video and articles every single week. And you can uh, check that out and see who is behind Puka Nakua for me. But... When we are looking at Puka Nakua and his performance, 10 receptions, 15 targets, 119 yards. This is the Rams wide receiver one while Cooper Cup is out. Now, obviously, this is while Cooper Cup is out. I love Nakua. But when Cooper Cup comes back and he is healthy, uh, he'll retain that spot. But Nakua would be the clear wide receiver one, in my opinion. And, you know, we talked about this a little bit last week. And, you know, I recommended that you stash Puka Dukua. I didn't think he would come out like this, but I really thought that he would earn a critical role in this offense. Uh, I get that people are a little bit concerned that it might not be sticky because this is massive. This performance was crazy. But you got to remember, this is very different than a veteran receiver that is stepping up because of an injury. And he's never really, he's been in the league for years. He's never really popped off. And all of a sudden he's stepping into a role and he makes, you know, a big leap. This is different. This is a guy who profiled as somebody for us that we felt like he was somebody that you wanted to grab in dynasty leagues. We talked about this last week, someone who could make an immediate impact as a rookie. And we're just seeing that immediate impact. You have to pay attention and cross your fingers that it sticks. And I think it's going to, and you have to remember also, There was a lot of skepticism around this Rams offense, and it is very possible that Sean McVay just retooled this offense. Matt Stafford is healthy, and maybe they figured out how to work with that offensive line, how to make this offense work. You know, Seattle was on the struggle bus, clearly, but... The Rams could just be better than expected, so you maybe want to earn and have the wide receiver too in this offense when Cup comes back. So absolutely. Side note: shout out to Tutu Atwell as well stepping up when he was finally called upon. Um, again, I didn't think that uh, that uh, Tutu was going to be a factor, and um, proud of him. Proud of my my short brethren stepping up. Very impressive for him. I hope that he can kind of push his way into the wide receiver three role because, as we've seen, Van Jefferson is just—I don't know—it's been multiple years. We've talked about this. If you—it's multiple years—you haven't had that breakout. Just don't feel like it's going to happen for him, unfortunately. So, stick with the other receivers that are having production within this offense. Now, moving on to another wide receiver, Zay Flowers. You guys know how I feel about Zay Flowers. I absolutely love him. Nine receptions, 10 targets, 78 yards, two carries, nine yards. He looked electric, slippery. The routes were great. He looks like the true alpha that we, we especially I, expected him to be. Now, Odo Beckham Jr. did have the highest snap count. That's kind of expected. He's a very, you know, he's a talented, reliable veteran. Um, caught two receptions on three targets I would expect him to still remain a prominent role within the offense, constantly on the field, but I just don't think that he really will be the target hog in this offense. Rashad Bateman didn't really do much, but again, it seemed like he might have been on a little bit of a snap count limit or or maybe just is kind of slotting into that third receiver role and that kind of pushes him down a little bit in terms of how this offense works. So we'll need to see how this kind of factors in once Mark Andrews is back, because unfortunately, Isaiah likely didn't pan out. Oh, sorry to everyone who streamed him. I sat there and put him in a, you know, not a, a decent-ish chunk of my DFS lineups. And I felt bad about it, but really, did any tight end other than Hunter Henry and Hayden Hurst succeed? No, so I don't feel bad about it my little DFS lineups that had Isaiah likely (laughs) because whoever I subbed him out for didn't really do much either, unfortunately. So, you know, kind of looking at that offense and Mark Andrews coming back into it, assuming that he's going to be the alpha, we have to remember that the wide receiver one in this offense can be productive. And it looks like Zay Flowers is going to be that person. Hollywood Brown served as a top receiver for spurts with Lamar Jackson, he could just never sustain it because unfortunately Hollywood might not be that dude. But I think Zay Flowers is that dude. Um, And remember, remember, if you're looking at this game and you're looking at Lamar's stats and his performance, it was subpar. And if you're trying to base that, you know, nine targets, 78 yards, he should have had more. It should have been a bigger day for Zay Flowers if, you know, Lamar Jackson was more on point. But you do have to remember that Houston's pass defense last year, was extremely strong. So this subpar performance from Lamar, not really a big surprise. Key takeaway here is, is that Flowers stepped up and immediately asserted himself as the wide receiver one. You got to love it. You know, And to talk more about Zay Flowers, uh, I stacked Lamar Jackson and Zay Flowers on my Scott Fishbowl team. I assured my league that I would talk about it weekly because I absolutely love that team. And the league is very good too. Very sharp drafters in there. And I'm really happy to say that even with Zay Flowers on my bench, I did not play him this week. I didn't have the courage to put him in there. Uh, I'm, I was 35th on the SFB leader board. It's crazy. And I'm pumped. And I cannot wait to put Zay Flowers in my starting lineup next week. One of the mailbag questions from last week was around my Offensive Rookie of the Year prediction, and I was very proud to say that my bold take was that it would be Zay Flowers. It's going to be tough to beat Bijan, and obviously Jordan Addison looked very sharp as well. But again, Flowers is special, so it's very possible, and I absolutely love that take. Speaking of Jordan Addison, he had a really fine day as well. You know, Not anything mind-blowing, but again, Fantastic outing for a guy playing opposite of Justin Jefferson and with TJ Hawkinson, who was the only big name reliable tight end this week. So, you know, it was good to see four receptions, six targets, 61 yards, one touchdown. KJ Osborne still appeared to operate as the wide receiver one. Again, Hawkinson was Hawkinson, but, you know, it was very encouraging performance. And it seems like Addison will clearly assert himself eventually as the wide receiver two in this offense, which is very crucial, because remember Minnesota has a terrible defense. Nothing changed. The offensive volume will be there. Big injury news as well. Um, oh, before we move on the big injury news, let me not forget one more rookie. Oh my gosh, how can I almost forget this one? Anthony Richardson. Last but certainly not least, never least, uh, man, he just looked good. Jane Steichen and Anthony Richardson appear to be the perfect combination. I have to admit that I was a little bit worried. I was a little bit worried um, that it would be a shaky start for him. Because again, with these quarterbacks and they're making the adjustments to the NFL, we saw it with CJ Stroud and Bryce Young, that the starts just don't typically go very well. And although this was an excellent matchup and I did want to target it, I'm still a little bit skeptical. Um, but man, fantastic. This was a good outing for him. The accuracy looked good, 24 of 37. They trusted him with decent volume, 37. That's something good that we want to see, especially when you compare it to a guy like Jalen Hurts' numbers. That's an ideal number that we want to hit on a weekly basis. That's a fantastic number to hit. Uh, 223 passing yards, touchdown, interception. uh, You know, you got to work through those things. 10 carries, 40 yards, rushing touchdown on the ground. It's everything that we could ask for in Anthony Richardson and more. He's a borderline uh, starting quarterback every single week potentially. Now, granted, again, this was a t- really good matchup. Jacksonville's defense was terrible, so I'm not shocked that this was a good outing. But again, this was exactly what we wanted to see. If you invested in Anthony Richardson, um, obviously in Dynasty or Thrill, but in Redraft as well, if you took that plunge to grab him, um, you got to be feeling great and confident moving forward. Moving on to Big injury news. We'll go through this relatively quickly ish. I don't know, because we don't want to talk about all the negative stuff, right? All the injuries are so, so depressing. We'll start off with the saddest one of all. I hate this because I am a Packers fan and I wanted nothing but the best for Aaron Rodgers and not just because I did want him to hit that 65% snap count for that first round pick, but he's a legend. You wanted him to move on and be successful. And this is absolutely brutal for the Jets offense. There is no way around it. And we saw, you saw the justification in the Bills game. They're just one quarterback away. Now, granted, you know, I mean, the defense is outstanding. Saw score, Gardner, uh, Menace. The entire secondary. Corner, safeties, outrageous, right? Uh, they gave... Josh Allen, just every single fit that they possibly could. And when the Dutch traded for Aaron Rodgers, they did so because they were just one quarterback away. And now they are stuck with Zach Wilson and everyone with Zach Wilson and dynasty. He is reeling his ugly hat. I've got him in one league, that, that one uh, league with uh, the score that I talked about earlier. I'm looking at Zach Wilson. I had written him off, but you got to keep him because it's a deep league and it's super flex. So you got to keep him. But there he is looking at you saying, put me in the starting lineup. And you're like, no, Zach, I cannot put you in the starting lineup. But here he is. He's the quarterback of the New York Jets for the future. They say that that is there. Or Robert Sala said that is their starting quarterback for the season. Obviously, we've heard that they are reaching out to veteran quarterbacks. There's not a ton out there. Um, that are realistically available, unless they pull people out of retirement, that are realistically available to, you know, carry on and enter and be successful in the way that Aaron Rodgers would have been. So we're probably stuck with Zach Wilson. Um, How this is going to affect the Jets offense, expect the running back value to increase big time. I have a question later, a mailbag question later around Brees Hall. So we'll dive further into him later. But again, Brees is a menace. Dalvin Cook's stats, don't overlook them. They might not pop on paper, but he was very solid as well. The Grets, or the Jets, they're probably just going to opt to push aggressive on the ground, rely on the ground game, try to take as much pressure off of Zach Wilson as humanly possible. And Garrett Wilson here obviously takes the big hit, unfortunately. You know, Wilson was wide receiver 21 last year with terrible quarterback play. So he's not going to completely disappear. We saw the touchdown. We saw he can be okay, but it really limits his upside. He'll probably kind of you know, teeter into the same area that he was, a low end wide receiver too, which is where we were not drafting him. We were drafting him to be a wide receiver one, unfortunately. Um, Shout out to Elijah Moore, who's probably grateful that he is in Cleveland now. He didn't have a bad day, not a bad day at all, considering how awful the weather was. Moving on to the other Achilles injury. The Achilles are out of control. This is terrible. You hate to see this because it is literally a career ender. Um, We cross our fingers that that's not going to happen for J.K. Dobbins, but I absolutely hate this with all my heart. I don't even want to dive deep into it. Uh, ACL, Achilles, you just can't imagine how tough it's going to be for him to come back and get anywhere close to the level where he was at. And it looked like he was just ready to thrive in the NFL this year. Obviously, he was looking for that contract extension as well. I hate this for him in every way, shape, and form. Um, obviously, we got to talk about the potential backups that are going to be rising into replace him. Justice Hill versus Gus Edwards. We've also got Melvin Gordon coming up off the practice squad. The Ravens have said they're not going to look into any of the veterans on the market, but you never know. You never know. They need depth. I lean towards Justice Hill. I understand that Gus Edwards has been the RB two in that offense in the past, but Just based off the fact that we did see two, uh, the goal line usage kind of tilt towards Justice Hill, two goal line touches, two touchdowns, Justice Hill. You want the guy that's getting the touchdown in this offense, because it's not going to be a guy getting a ton of receptions, obviously, just based off of how this offense has flowed in the past. And if it's Justice Hill, I kind of lean that direction towards taking that chance with him. Uh, other injuries, uh, concerns around Austin Eckler. Um, we'll we'll dive more into this one later um, with a mailbag question. Austin Eckler, the ankle, Deontay Johnson, the hamstring. He'll be out several weeks. Hate that. Oh, Kenneth Gainwell, the ribs. Again, I, you know, all my mailbag questions are actually centered around several of these topics. So we'll get to that. Mild concerns. Aaron Jones and the hamstring injury didn't seem like that big of an issue. I wouldn't particularly panic over that one. And then Anthony Richardson took a bad hit at the end of the game, but he appears to be fine as well. And then a couple of others, Jacoby Myers concussion. That's a concern. Jacoby Myers had a great game. Um, he's not a waiver wire ad. He was rostered in most leagues. Most people know that he was the wide receiver too in that offense and matched well, as we saw with Jimmy Garoppolo and his skill Um We'll see a bounce back from Devonte Adams though. And Pat Fryermuth chest as well. All right, we are going to dive into our players of the week. But before we do that, we are going to go ahead and pause and hear from hear a word from our sponsors.
1: Now, as we at Player Profiler have become a full-blown machine learning company, the crowning achievement has to be the injury finder. We're now taking BMI data and injury history data and assigning a probability that a player is injured on any given touch. And not only can you see a player's fragility rating, their injury risk, we also have analysis from professional physical therapists breaking down all the major players that underwent surgery last year and what their rehabilitation looks like heading into 2023. There's a tool to compare players, as a database where you can say, show me all the foot injuries, show me all the severe injuries, show me all the injuries requiring surgery. It provides you the key market intelligence to know, what is the difference in probability that player X versus player Y will miss games this year? It's great for fantasy football, and it also just satisfies your curiosity as a fan. Go to the App Store, go to Google Play, download it. It's 5 bucks every year just to reload the latest injury predictions and fragility ratings. 2023 data is live now. Open your phone and get smarter.
0: That was the the perfectly apt and timed promo as we were just talking about all of those injuries. So for sure be able to check out the um the injury finder because man, the injuries are out of control. Let's move on to Happier topics. We're going to talk about my players of the week. It's easy to run down the list of the the biggest performances of the week, right? We can talk about uh, Tyree Kill and that fantastic performance. We know what the top ones are, but let's talk about let's talk about my favorite performances. They might not be the the top performances of the week, but they're the ones that mattered to me the most. Um, and we'll start off with the one that uh, <laughs> you guys know. Matters to me the most. It is Jordan Love. I promised you that I am not a biased Packers fan when I said that my bold prediction of the year was that all of the Packers, pass catchers, and Jordan Love were going to finish above ADP. Right off the bat, they came out and they showed us boom, exactly what I was saying. Now, you don't want a week one victory lap, and granted, this could be, you know, Chicago. Actually, maybe not making the progress that we thought and hoped they would, but you can't deny Jordan Love. He looked great. 245 passing yards, three touchdowns with Christian Watson out. Romeo Dobbs limited. Again, um, that is a really important thing to note. He was limited. We knew factually that he was going to be on a snap count heading into the game. He was at a 48% um, of snaps. That is not going to be what he's typically at. Um... Even last year when he was technically the wide receiver three in that offense, wide receiver, even wide receiver two-ish, he was was above 80% snap count right off the bat as a rookie. So this is not something that's normal. Take a note of that because I've seen some people floating around Twitter trying to say that Dobbs' performance was not something that's repeatable and that it wasn't really that impressive because it just relied on touchdowns and he only had four receptions on five targets. That's not fantastic. The yardage wasn't fantastic. We know that, but that is expected because they were limiting him. This is Romeo Dobbs on a limited basis. Let's wrap our minds around what that is going to be when that snap count is bumped back up to 90%. This is a guy who has incredible rapport with Jordan Love and again, I love Christian Watson. He's going to, <clears throat> once he gets back onto the field, he is going to be, you know, a big factor in this offense, a big play guy that will have fantastic boom weeks. But Romeo Dobbs is the guy that I thought would be the target hog in this offense. And I think we're just seeing the tipping point right there. He's oh man, this guy is the limit for him, especially if what we saw from Jordan Love is the continue is, you know, is real. And we're going to see the continuation of it. Again, when I was on the uh, Mind of Mansion podcast, the podfather asked me one of my boldest takes, and that was it. You guys, um, go check it out because it was actually pretty funny. Um, <laughs> it was pretty funny. He cut me off at Romeo Dobbs, ironically, right? <laughs> and Romeo Dobbs is the one that came out with the big performance. Gotta love it. Fantastic start for these Packers. Zay Flowers, obviously one of my players of the week. We already talked about that. Brandon Ayuk, super quick. 8 of 8, 129 yards, two touchdowns. He deserves this. If you remember, um, he got off to a fantastic start in his rookie year. Then he found himself in the doghouse of Kyle Shanahan his sophomore year. Um, We were all expecting a massive breakout. It just didn't really happen. And then he had a nice recovery last year. And now we have the ascendance of Brandon Ayuk into that true, true alpha that we know he can be. This is his time to shine. I am so excited for him. Calvin Ridley, one of my players of the week, immediately stepping into a top five performance, eight receptions, 11 targets, 101 yards, one touchdown. He is who he is. Uh, Him, he's going to thrive all season long in that Jags offense. And Michael Pittman Jr. Anytime I brought him up in the offseason, people said I was crazy saying that he was a strong value pick. They wanted to avoid him. They called me crazy. But if you believed in Anthony Richardson, you should have been believing in Michael Pittman Jr., his wide receiver, one. Eight receptions, 11 targets, 97 yards, one touchdown in in the first game of Anthony Richardson. I thought this was something that was going to come along as he developed, but he gave it to us right off the bat. Thank you, Anthony Richardson for being a quarterback that can actually stand up and move in the pocket. Thank you so much. And shout out to, I don't, I don't just brag about where I'm right. Um, shout out to Travis Etienne for proving me wrong. I was worried that um, the receptions wouldn't be there for him. And right off the bat, five receptions. He didn't have more than three in a game last year. RB six on the week. And Tank Bigsby got a touchdown. So congrats to Travis Etienne. Um, my Clemson brethren, love him, for proving me wrong that he would in fact catch passes in this Doug Peterson offense. I am crossing my fingers that it sticks because although I didn't draft a bunch of Travis Etienne, I want it for him. All right. Before we move on, um, I talked about the Packers. I feel like real quick, um, I don't want to go too long here because I do want to leave time for the mailbag, but there was just so much to talk about in week one. Real quick though, we talked about the Packers. Let's talk about the Bears. I, I just want to specifically do this real quick. Justin Fields and DJ Moore. I mean, it was disappointing, right? We saw increased volume, yay, fantastic. Um, but again, you know, it was you know, 24, 37, fine. Yardage, good, over 200 yards. One touchdown, one interception, nine rush yards. Um, He fumbled, so that did cut into his stats, or nine rushes for 59 yards. Um, He had one fumble that cut into his stats. But again, do not hit the panic button on this, especially when we're talking about, um, this is kind of like well in line with a typical Justin Fields floor performance. We know those big boom, 40 plus fantasy point games exist. We saw them last year in weeks nine and 10 when he had really good matchups. But outside of that, you know, after those performances last year, looking at the back half of the season, weeks 11 through 18, Fields averaged 19.1 fantasy points. If you ignore that fumble, he's right around his floor. So just kind of like chill and relax on that one. Um <sighs> It's not highly concerning, especially when it comes to DJ Moore, because I know people are like panicking. Again, I'm on I'm on Twitter, I'm reading around of people panicking and seeing why aren't they utilizing DJ Moore? Why isn't he getting targeted more? Why didn't Chicago, you know, game plan him more? Well, they couldn't. You remember? Um, like him or not, Jair Alexander is an issue for wide receiver ones. We saw it with Justin Jefferson last year. This was expected. If you thought DJ Moore was going to have a big, massive game, you you thought wrong. The Packers can do, you know, they're good on defense, but if they can do one good thing, one good thing, it's shut down your wide receiver one. They figured out how to do that. So don't panic on DJ Moore. It's not that bad. All right, all right, all right. I've talked a ton. Let's dive into the mailbag portion of the show. By the way, guys, if you want more fantasy content, be sure to check out Fantasy Empire Wednesdays with Chris Ficaro and Nando Dufino. You can't ask for two better hosts and their content is fire. So make sure that you check that out. Now, first question from at Wash Your Mouth Out. Is it time to panic on Drake London or better days ahead? It is time to panic-ish. Yeah, <laughs> we, gotta, we gotta panic a little bit. So full disclosure, I was 100% in on Drake London and it's not time to trade him. It's not time to cut him. It's not time to bail out. God forbid, please don't cut him. Um, but it is concerning. It is very concerning here that um, it's very concerning here that we didn't see the pass volume raised, unfortunately, and Desmond Ritter didn't look good. And this was weird because this pass volume was lower than what we saw at the end of last year when Ritter started. So I hope there's not regression from him. Um, On the bright side, though, they don't play Carolina every single week. Okay, Carolina is a bad team with the rookie quarterback trying to work through things, right? Everybody can't be Anthony Richardson in their first game, okay? It doesn't happen that way for every team. So unfortunately, this was a bad outing for Carolina in Bryce Young's first game. No offense to him whatsoever, but it just happens. It happens with rookie quarterbacks. They don't play Carolina every single week. You won't see this situation able to happen. They are going to have to throw the ball a little bit more. I am concerned, though that both Kyle Pitts and Drake London couldn't successfully exist. That was my kind of my kind of minor issue with why I drafted literally only one share of Kyle Pitts over over everything over Rick. Uh, I have no Kyle Pitts in Dynasty. I got no, or no one Kyle Pitts in redraft and then zero Kyle Pitts in best ball because all three of these people, Bijan, Kyle Pitts, and Drake London, they can't all exist at their ADP in the same offense unless Carol, or unless Atlanta made a massive leap. So that's the problem here is that I just, you know, I think we saw the preview that I don't think both of them are going to be invisible, but I find it hard to believe that both of them are going to thrive. And again, purely based off of what we saw last season in the small sample size with Ritter and London together with Pitts out, London had a minimum of eight targets in each game. We saw four targets between them, London and Pitts this week. It's not going to be that way. It can't be that way unless something went totally sideways with Desmond Ritter. So the problem is, is that we we can't really trust Drake London in our starting lineup right now. I don't feel comfortable starting him. It's not time to panic and completely feel like we have to get rid of him. If you can sell him high, hey, if someone's a believer and you want to sell him high, absolutely do that. But don't sell him low. Just just relax right now, because I still think that London is going to be the one between him and Kyle Pitts that's the more prominent guy within this offense. All right. Next question from at Jason Quinn, 1992. Lost J.K. Dobbins. So many listed. Gainwell, Kyron Williams, Gus Edwards. Justice Hill, Tank Bigsby, and Joshua Kelly are on waivers along with Puka Nakua. Who are your top two waiver wire targets in redraft? So Puka Nakua is my top waiver ad for the week. But, 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 if you are really thin at running back and you just lost J.K. Dobbins and your bench running backs are looking, looking a little suspect, right? Then you can go ahead and prioritize the running backs. So in this instance, with Kenneth Gainwell dealing with the injury, the rib injury, we don't know how serious it is. Um, So your priority should really be Kyron Williams here. Um, Again, if you're really thin, unfortunately, prioritize Kyron Williams, and then maybe because of the injury news, you can grab Gainwell on the cheap. I love Puka Nakua. If you feel like you can get by with some of your backup running backs and it's not a big issue. And there's someone that you can immediately plug into your RB two spot, then go Kyron Williams and Puka. But if not, you got to do both of the running backs, unfortunately. All right. Moving on to, moving on to from at bathroom Ben, where would you draft Brees Hall now? So we talked earlier about how this offense is going to look like with, um, With Aaron Rodgers no longer at the helm, unfortunately, and that the run volume might be substantially higher than it would have been with Aaron Rodgers. So I finished my draft rankings with Brees Hall at RB18, just behind Kenneth Walker, and ahead of that little tier of like Madison and Akers and Javante Williams was up there for me. Um, But that little tier right there is what I had behind him. So with Brees Hall, as of right now, knowing what we know, and the fact that this is going to be an aggressive run offense, I would move him up to RB 12. I would jump him above Gibbs and Mixon 100%. No question about that. Um, where I would start the teeter is, you know, obviously, once you get to the Derrick Henry's and above, I would not move him above that just based off of pure volume workload, but um, But the other guys, you start to, you know, kind of mix Brees in, and it gets pretty interesting. You know, guys like Ramondre Stevenson. So around RB11 or 12 is where I could see myself drafting him if I were drafting right now. Because the thing is, is that he is still recovering, right? And there's not going to be massive, long... Well, there could be. Brees is very talented. But realistically, there might not be these massive, long, um, massive runs throughout the season for him in every single game. But... I would feel more comfortable with him over a guy like Joe Mixon because, again, that was somebody who was a full fade for me, and we kind of saw exactly why he was that full fade for me. Um, Mixon was a guy that I couldn't justify moving him past RB14, but you see why I had issues with him and why he was a full fade for me. But again, I would move Brees Hall up, not because I think that he's going to push Dalvin out or be an absolute monster in the backfield, but because... Dalvin and Brees Cook can both thrive now. This offense being a two-headed monster that is going to have to aggressively run on the ground, I can realistically see a scenario where we're going to have, you know, games where Zach Wilson is throwing like 15 passes. Unfortunately, you hate to see it. But yeah, if, if we knew that Aaron Rodgers was going to have that unfortunate injury and Zach Wilson was going to be at the helm, I'd be drafting Brees Hall a lot higher now. I would be willing to eat any recovery time because honestly, it just might get very, very ugly from that perspective. From uh, through the air, and it could get fantastic on the ground. Moving on to the next question from at Rocky Mountain MTN Rejects: Would you rather pick up Joshua Kelly, Puka, or Romeo Dobbs if you had the number one waiver spot? And your roster looked like this. Now, you guys can't see the roster, but I could see the roster. Um, And just for reference, the running backs are like Gibson and Jamal Williams and Jaleel uh, McLaughlin, Rashawn Johnson, Sean Tucker. Those are the running backs. This is clearly a zero RB roster. So let's look at this from the perspective of you went zero RB. And those zero RBs aren't hitting the way that you would like them to hit, because obviously, the thought process here was that Gibson would be far more involved. We were hoping, but he fumbled the ball. And obviously, that was a big problem. And whatever hope we had, he might have just really messed up any goodwill that he had with Ron Rivera. And Brian Robinson looked fantastic. So we could really see Gibson's role really reduced, unfortunately. I don't feel like you can rely on him in your starting lineup, Jamal Williams. Now, Jamal Williams, I will say, Specifically in this matchup, you should not have expected him to thrive. Tennessee was a fantastic run defense. This is no offense to Jamal Williams. He could do very well in the next couple of games without Alvin Kamara. Um, This was just a really bad matchup. So you'll be able to rely on Jamal for a couple more games. Uh, And then after that, you've got some promising, let's say you've got promising running backs on your bench, like Bershawn Johnson, very promising uh, Sean Tucker, very promising. I think these guys will gain big roles, but you don't have time to wait. You need to go ahead and for sure pick up Joshua Kelly. Um, I love Romeo Dobbs, obviously. I, it's painful to not go ahead and prioritize him. Pokunakua, same thing as well. But you got to prioritize Joshua Kelly in the sense that when you are a zero RB roster and you're really struggling at running back, Um, Again, I don't think that this usage is going to necessarily stick, this extreme usage, 16 carries, 91 yards, one touchdown. Um, But clearly, when you look at it, you know, play by play, you can go through and look at it and see. He clearly spelled Eckler on full series multiple times early on. So they would take Eckler out, give him a full series break, and... Joshua Kelly would get in there and he did very well in his opportunities. And that's a very positive sign, regardless of the defense that they were facing mean the Miami Dolphins. Yeah, they have some struggles. But regardless, he was productive with his opportunities, which means that they will want to continue to utilize him in this offense. And then on top of that, you've got Austin Eckler dealing with an ankle injury. Yeah, I would absolutely try to prioritize Kelly and get what you can out of him right now because great receivers are great, but if you've got no running backs, you are out of luck. You cannot wait. You cannot afford more losses if you weren't able to pull it out this week. We don't know, Um, but you gotta gotta improve the running backs moving forward. Next question from him, her sports, from him. I love this account. This is from him. It's uh, him and her. This question is from him. I have two shares of Deontay Johnson. Who hates me more? or sorry, 22 shares of Deontay Johnson. Who hates me more, God or myself? Both, honestly. And I'm with you right there. I feel awful. (laughs) I truly feel awful about this Deontay Johnson situation because I aggressively recommended Deontay Johnson. And you cannot fault a fantasy analyst for recommending someone who ends up getting injured, okay? Um, Deontay Johnson, I mean, he's dealt with injuries in the past, but by no means has he ever had like, a major concern. So again, it's just terrible luck. But if you were in on Deontay Johnson, you did draft a lot of them. He finished as wide receiver 30 last year was being drafted as wide receiver 31. He was my favorite one of my favorite value picks to recommend just because it felt like the floor was literally like the worst, absolute worst case scenario was where you were drafting him. Now, positive news, what we saw out of him before he got injured, it looked like he, even though that was a horrible matchup, man, I mean, San Francisco absolutely demoralized the Pittsburgh offense, unfortunately. But what we saw, at least kind of for a small second, showed that there might have been a little Bounce back to where Deontay technically was before last year. Um, But we're going to have to wait it out several weeks, unfortunately. Hamstring injury. The hamstrings are out of control. I hate them. What can we do about these hamstring injuries, people? I mean, if you're watching on YouTube, comment. Let me know. What can we, can we sacrifice our hamstrings? Can we, can we offer them up? What, what do we have to do? Because they have been out of control Recently they're taking down our best players and we don't like it. All right, question from Pharaoh J417. What do we do with Rashad Penny? This is a good one here. Um, because again, you guys know Kenneth Gainwell truther, I you know Kenneth Gainwell was the one that I was advising we all target in our fantasy drafts. Um but Rashad Penny, again, let's He did profile comparatively to DeAndre Swift as the one who fits this offense better. So Kenneth Gainwell's injury is what really means that we have to hold Rashad Penny. We have to hold at least a week. If Gainwell is out, we'll know right off the bat. We'll know if Penny gets in in there, how he's utilized. We'll be able to tell, and then we can make our decision next week. We hold through this injury, see what happens, and if he's not utilized, then we drop him. But here's the thing. I know people have high hopes for DeAndre Swift, but that week one usage was super clear. Super clear. Even if you don't feel like Gainwell is is technically the best back in this offense, Swift's snap count was 29%. One attempt, three yards, two targets, one reception, zero yards. His skill set does not fit within this offense. Now, checkdowns do exist. Game Gamewell got four checkdowns, caught them all. But you got to get those, those checkdowns, the way that you get to those checkdowns, you got to be reliable on early downs. The Eagles are not scheming and designing pass plays for a running back. So for you to get what little pass volume there is out of the backfield, it's via checkdowns, and you got to be on the field as an actual back that they can trust on the ground. And it doesn't feel like they feel that way about DeAndre Swift. So if Gainwell is out, I still contend that Penny fits better than Swift. And maybe he was inactive because his skill set overlapped with Gainwell. And they just maybe didn't need it because they got Boston Scott and they just preferred to go that direction. So we've got one more week. We're holding on. If Gamewell is out and Penny gets nothing, bail out. Very simple. All right. That wraps up the show for this week. That wraps up the mailbag. Uh, Just some closing thoughts. Again, if you guys have any questions, you can always hit me up on Twitter at It's TerraTime ITS I-T-S-T-E-R-A-T-I-M-E. Tag me. I will do my absolute best to respond. And you can always tag me multiple times because sometimes I do miss it if my mentions get a little aggressive. Um, But again, ask me any questions. I'm here. AMA. Ask me anything. That's why they gave me the mailbag show, because I'm going to answer. And if you're listening on the podcast version, please subscribe. It would be greatly appreciated. And if you're watching this on YouTube, be sure to like the video and subscribe as well and drop me a comment. Uh, Let me know what you think. Let me know your thoughts. I appreciate you tuning in. Good luck with your fantasy lineups this week. Catch me on Twitter and I will catch you again next week. Appreciate you tuning in.